You're listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto Podcast, where you'll learn advanced strategies, tactics, and tips for actually selling your music. If you'd like to learn more music marketing strategies, then go to musicmarketingmanifesto.com. That's musicmarketingmanifesto.com. And sign up for your free copy of the Music Marketing Blueprint. Now, here's your host, John Ojaka. All right, John Ojaka here, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast. In this episode, we've got something pretty cool for you. It is an interview with none other than Xerxes Horde of the New Jacobin Club. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with them, uh, the the New Jacobin Club, they are they are doing some pretty, some pretty cool, some pretty out there stuff. You know, um, bands like Guar come to mind in terms of the level of theatrical uh, accoutrement. I don't know how you say that. Uh, the the level of just sort of uh, stage antics and and the sort of over the top intense nature of the band. They're they're doing something really unique, really different, and they they uh, connected with me through Music Marketing Manifesto, my course. Uh, that's uh, MMM 3.0. Um, they signed up, became members of the course, and. One of the members, Xerxes, who you're going to be talking to, uh, he, he really he kind of immediately stood out as someone who had a good uh, handle on this stuff. He implemented the strategies, he asked the right questions, and uh, pretty quickly had some real success with it. He was able to uh, get, well, you know, I don't know if I should talk to you guys about the numbers or, or not right out of the gate, or just let the interview speak speak for itself. I guess I should, should give you a little teaser. He was able to um, pull in a conversion rate of, I believe he's going to say nearly 20%. Uh, I can't rem- remember if it's just over or just under uh, 20%. And, and when I say conversion rate, I'm talking about sales. I'm talking about the number of people that signed up for his mailing list that ultimately purchased his music. And if you're not familiar with direct response marketing and what's normal, that's that's very good. That is a very high ratio. It may be uh, the highest ratio that I've heard anyone report back yet. Uh, he, he Again, he, he did everything right and uh, had some real success. And I asked him to sit in on an interview to share his story because, uh, I, you know, I think many people listening might might be thinking, you know, my music's uh, too outside of the box. I'm not I'm not a mainstream pop artist or singer songwriter, so I don't know if this stuff is going to work. Well, the opposite is actually proven true in, in my experience. The more niched out you are, the more genre specific you are, the better you tend to do because the easier it is to find and tap into your audience and uh, and their interests and their pre existing passions. And that's what they were able to do. Um, and I I, I think uh, you you're really gonna pick up a lot of insight from this interview that you're about to listen to. Now, a couple of things before we jump in. There are some audio issues. Uh, I've been sorting out some audio issues with recording Skype calls, uh, and uh, I think I've got them sorted out. However, this interview was recorded a little while ago. It was actually the inspiration for making sure I got to the bottom of those recording issues. It's, it's, it's more difficult than you can imagine to get a decent, some decent sound out of these Skype recording calls, which is how most of these interviews that you listen to in these podcasts are done. Anyway, uh, certainly been difficult with my operating system and sound card, and I, I think I've got it sorted out, but the, the audio you're about to hear is less than perfect. Uh, so uh, I appreciate you bearing with me uh, on that. Uh, just know that uh, we, we should have it sorted out for you in time for the next episode. So, um, with all of that said, I think we should just jump in and 
uh, take a listen to everything that Xerxes has to say. Again, I think he, I think he's done a great job, and I, th- I think he, the insight that he brings to the table and his personal experience, not only with uh, my course, Music Marketing Manifesto, but the, uh, with the whole direct response marketing, aka direct to fan marketing approach that we've been focusing on here in the podcast and over at MusicMarketingManifesto.com. Uh, all right, without further ado, I've got Xerxes Horde on the line. Xerxes, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Great. So, uh, you know, right out of the gate, people are hearing this name, Xerxes Horde, and it's probably uh, uh, generating a little curiosity there. Why don't you tell people a little bit about uh, the New Jacobian uh, Club, or sorry, New Jacobin Club, uh, when did that again, um, yourself uh, and your history, and you know, just a little bit about the, the, the kind of music that you're making. Sure. Um, this group has been around for just over 15 years. Uh, we are in the, we're up in the biggest expanse of Western Canada where there is very little or nothing. So there's, uh, we're, we're in a geographically a little isolated. Um, but we've been around for a while. We are a group of musicians. We have, uh, we have performance artists with us. Um, among us, there are art teachers and music teachers and we do a very, uh, theatrical show. And, um, in some places, it's a little controversial. Um, it's kind of, I would say, we've 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 had a hard time describing uh, what we do to some people. I've heard some people say it's like the cross between Alice Cooper and Cirque du Soleil or something like that. But uh, we really do exist for the live for the live uh, show. But we do have about we're on we're about to release our fifth album this fall. So. Wow, and it's fairly heavy music, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It's not as heavy. Uh, you know, that's the interesting thing. Is I really don't think it's as heavy as people expect it to be when they hear it. And uh, um, that, I think that's an indication of that is how many different types of people actually are fans of ours and buy our stuff. And um, some of the people that are into really, really heavy, 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 heavy metal stuff really aren't don't like what we do because there's a big kind of theatrical almost Broadway musical element to some of it. And uh, right, right. we do have some orchestrations. We have an electric cello player. We have, uh, uh, I lead vocalist along with uh, Poison Candy. She's the other kind of co-lead uh, vocalist. And she plays theremin as well. So we have lots of different colorful components of the band that uh, kind of separate us from just straight ahead heavy metal groups and whatnot. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And yeah, describe what people see because I think that's a big part of, of the group. And, you know, obviously we're, this is an audio format. People are listening to this, but it, it's such a huge part. Describe what people see when, when the band takes the stage. Well, we are right now, we are a, uh, there are five instrumentalists. There have been as many as seven in the past. And we usually have one or two or three or even four additional kind of background singers and performance artists. And um, s- most of our shows revolve around a theatrical concept or even a storyline. Our last album actually was a concept album. And um, you'll see all sorts of traditional sideshow tricks and uh, thing- pyrotechnics like uh, things that that we're known for, we 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 have things like exploding cymbals on the drum set, and we light the mic stands on fire. And some of the performance artists have their own signature tricks, like you know they hammer these 
you know, one and a half foot long nails into their head or whatever. Or they, they, my favorite one is they lie on a bed of machetes and then they put a cinder block on their chest and they smash it with a sledgehammer while they're lying on the machetes, stuff like that. So right, right. It's, it's pretty grandiose. <laughs> sure, sure. And you've really got some um, colorful sort of fa- face paint or makeup oh, yeah. Yeah. Know, going on. Lots Just, of costumes, yes, yeah. That's certainly the the first thing that struck me was, yeah, the costumes. Um, Very fun stuff. So um, the reason we are talking is because uh, Xerxes bought um, my course, Music Marketing Manifesto, some time ago. And, you know, as I've said in some previous interviews, uh, you you see different types of people coming through the doors, and some people um, struggle with the the marketing concepts and strategies. Others sort of, uh, you know, do very well, and Xerxes was one of those people who did very well, and in fact, to date, he's reported probably some of the most um, successful stats that anyone has reported in terms of conversion rates. Um, before we get into that, uh, you know, why don't we start off by just kind of talking to people about your experience in terms of marketing and sales and success prior to uh, changing up some of your strategies embracing and embracing some of these uh, direct response marketing strategies that perhaps you learned in, in the course. So let's, let's start at the beginning in terms of what you were doing and what kind of results you were having, maybe some of the frustrations or successes that you were having in your career prior prior to embracing direct response marketing? Sure. Um, the biggest thing that, uh, obviously, the thing that lacked the most was album sales uh, online and maybe perhaps album sales in stores, too. Um, most bands will tell you, and I've, I even saw this in, I think it was your survey a year ago, where do you sell most of your albums? At the concert. Right, ninety percent of album sales for independent bands happen at the concert, and the problem is you can't be playing every night all the time. There's a cost in that; it, it costs money to play, and um, it would. We I just thought, when are we going to be able to sell albums without having to be there in person to sell them? You know, how come? Every year we only see, you know, a fistful of CDs sold off of our website or our distributor cuts us a check for selling four albums last fall or whatever. And that's that, uh, you know, because we started to buy and invest in advertising. We have we had a publicist we worked on and off with for two years and worked with online ads and and things you know spent money on our website and whatnot and we had several different versions of our web store and nothing really made any difference um the same half dozen you know digital sales would happen every uh now and then and that was it and it's not you know it's it's not it's nothing really and i think a lot of bands will identify with that um i know i know some bands that tell that have told me they've never sold anything online you know and and i can believe it i i see how slow it is so um i thought i i saw that music marketing manifesto uh blueprint video and i watched it and i got it i understood exactly what we were missing and to be quite honest, uh, we were very close to doing that already, um, using direct response marketing, but not, but it wasn't, we weren't doing it right. Um, so I realized in the end, I was, you know, we were just going to invest in getting all the tools, uh, that came with the, with the music marketing package. And we did. And I think 
throughout December, I set it up, and January 10th, um, everything went live. Our whole system, um, our, our, you know, our email autoresponder system for our fans. We, we had a mailing list before, but it didn't, it wasn't very, um, interactive. It didn't really do much. And then literally about, I think, 10 days after everything started, we started selling homes. And people were just, just, you know, I just opened my email one day and I saw two or three PayPal notices saying people had bought our stuff online. And by the end of February, we had already sold more than we had from our old web store in all of the previous year. Wow. And, um, and that was just from doing some very poor dunderheaded <laughs> advertising. We weren't very good at it yet. That right. came a little, that came a little later. Um, so, but anyways, uh, I mean, the, the point, the fact of the matter is, is that we were able to, uh, we have, we have sold actually to this date now, we've outsold almost two years of, of, of our previous web stores, web sales. In how long a period of time? Uh, just under three months. Wow, wow, that's that's incredible. Um, so, just to kind of color this in for anyone who's maybe stumbled upon the podcast uh, from iTunes and isn't really familiar with what we do here, you know, uh, what I teach is basically, in a nutshell, a form of marketing that's traditionally known as direct response marketing, and it involves essentially uh, in, instead of doing what musicians are typically doing and going and um, you know creating this great album, uh, hopefully, and then putting it out on iTunes and getting out there and doing shows and maybe getting a little press and hoping that it all somehow comes together and there's this tipping point and people start purchasing music. Instead of doing that, which, as most musicians have experienced, it just really doesn't work for the most part, uh, we go out and we actually consciously drive traffic to an opt-in form of some sort where we uh, exchange some music for uh, someone joining our list. Once they are on our list, we build a relationship and get them more familiar with our music, uh, us as people, and then once that desire is up, then we ask for the sale, and you really ask for it, you really use some some basics, some tried and true uh, sales triggers to get people off the fence and, and to hopefully get them to make the decision to purchase your stuff. And what we see when we do that are uh, not only sales, but some, some predictable numbers, and that allows us to build a, an ROI, return on investment-based marketing system where we know how much we are paying to acquire a subscriber, we know how much we are making uh, on our average customer, and we then know how much we can afford to drive traffic, and as long as we make the numbers line up, and it sometimes takes take some tweaking, uh, we we got a real business model on our hands. So that's that's what we're teaching, or you know what I'm teaching in, in the course, and that's what um, Xerxes and his band has embraced so well. So um, let's kind of, well, let's actually just talk some numbers. What are you seeing in terms of conversion rates? What are you seeing when people um, first land on your your opt-in form, your squeeze page, as, as we call it in marketing circles, and what are you seeing in terms of sales? Um, well, it took us a while to get, uh, I mean, the, the big the big problem that we ran into was was finding our audience and finding people that were potential fans. It was very difficult. It took us a lot of um, trial and error and tweaking and, and, and experimenting with ads. It took us a while. But uh, once we were able to find that audience um, after that, you know, after that first month or so of, of, uh, of 
trying at different ads, uh, we finally saw over like between 20 to 30 percent um, who people 20, 20 to 30 percent of people that landed on our page actually signed up. Uh, right. That that's one particular group. Um, we've we've marked we've had ads aimed at different groups that were as low as ten percent, which is was pretty typical for most of our uh, traffic. But but the most uh, aggressive group, our our biggest fans, come from that th- close to thirty percent. Sure, and, and let's talk about those numbers before we move on to sales. Um, you, I, I think I think what you're talking about there is is pretty typical when you first throw something up and when you first start driving traffic, it, it usually won't start converting right away. And a lot of people I've I've seen this, you know, they'll go out and they'll spend five dollars on ads. They'll just kind of send it to people who like rock and roll music or something fairly general, and they won't see any conversions or they'll see low numbers. And it really can take some serious dialing in. Of course, we all make different types of music. Some of our music is going to be more accessible to the masses, so sometimes pretty broad targeting works. But you really find, and I'm sure you can attest to this, the more, you really have to zero in on exactly the right potential fan, exactly the right demographic, the right age, sometimes the right location, even sometimes the right sex, and more importantly and most significantly, the right targeting option, the right interest. If you're getting into Facebook advertising, if it was Google, it would be the right keyword. Um, But with Facebook, we target based on interest things that that person has indicated that they like or are engaged with in some capacity, and you really have to dial that in. And I've seen, and I, I'd be curious to hear your experiences, but I've seen, you know, the same exact <laughs> squeeze page convert at 2% if the targeting is wrong, and that same ad, that same squeeze page suddenly convert at 30% if I just change that interest. And little things like changing the age range that I'm going after can significantly boost uh, the, the conversion rate. So there's a lot of variables, and it does take some work to dial that in. And, you know, what I usually tell people is, like, is that at least with cold traffic coming from Facebook, they want to see at least a 20% conversion rate. You're usually going to need to see something uh, along those lines to make things work. It, it, of course, it depends how uh, affordable your traffic is. That's going to vary a lot depending on how your ads are doing and the specifics of your campaign. Facebook uh, ultimately will give your campaigns and your ads a certain uh, a sort of quality score. And so one person might be paying 10 cents while another is paying 50. So there's some dialing in to do there. Um, but, uh, but 30%, especially with paid traffic, that's pretty darn good. And that's about the, I, I don't want to say it's a ceiling because I've seen better, but you know, that's, that's pretty darn good. And if you're converting approximately a third of the people to land on your page or even a quarter, uh, you know, then, then that's pretty significant. And, and I bring it up because I am so exhausted by musicians leaving comments when I'll talk about this stuff saying, ah, oh, no one, no one's going to give me their email address for free, for music. No one, no one's interested at all. They'll just go pirate it or, you know, no one, no one's interested in getting music this way. And it's just simply not true. Um, it's true if you're going and, uh, putting up some bland offer and talking to the wrong people, but, if you know the interests and passions and the dialogue already taking place in your target fan's mind, and then you craft an offer, essentially, you know, some website copy or video or whatever it is you want to put together to speak to those people, if you speak directly uh, to those people and those pre-existing um, passions and interests, you're going to see conversions because people, they do want 
more music, and more importantly, they want the experience that comes along with that music, the potential lifestyle that they get to live vicariously um, through through the um, voice of an artist uh, or the, um, the 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 brand, you know, that that they are ultimately ascribing to, or more importantly, um, the tribe that they are. Become a, becoming a part of by aligning themselves with a particular artist. People want that experience, and so if you uh, dial in your message and speak to those people, you will see conversions. Um, so, so what what is your uh, what was your experience along those lines? Well, um, our experience was very very different from a lot of examples that I heard about, um, either with on you know with case studies that I that I had heard. Um, the one that comes to mind was the fellow that was marketing his music simply to people that were a fan of a uh, of another artist that was very similar to himself. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a lot of skepticism in niche market circles, I believe, uh, in music. For example, when I say niche, like extreme niches, like like really heavy, uh, you know, death metal bands or or really extremely unmarketable, very non-mainstream stuff, there is um, an attitude that you know you cannot uh, market that way to those people. And the the interesting thing is, it's kind of true. You can't. And the reason is, and this is what made all the difference for us, this is what changed everything, when we realized that our audience was uh, a subculture, right? They're, they, are not, they are not members of the normality of the world outside, right? You can't say if you like um, Justin Bieber, you'll like this, or something very, very <laughs> right. mainstream. I'm just using that. It's mainstream. Sure. Sure. Or even, let's say, Metallica. Metallica is a very mainstream, well-known, he- they're heavy metal band, but they're very, very, um, they're very household, right? So you ca- we cannot compare ourselves to something else. And the reason is, is that the niche audience, the, the subculture, it's a lifestyle. And they, got, they, they will be offended if you tell them what they like. For example, since you like band A, you must like you will like band B. It, it 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 provokes this attitude that don't tell me what I will and won't like. You don't know me. I'm not part of the mainstream. And right. once we figured that out, we stopped comparing ourselves to other artists, which was really kind of going nowhere with us anyways, because it's like we'd compare ourselves to someone that was remotely mainstream and people would just get freaked out when they saw us. Or <laughs> but the, the, the bottom line is what we, what we started doing was um, telling people, look, um, if you, you know, are basically our most successful uh, ad campaigns have been, are you bored with all the music out there? Are you bored with this? Are you, are you looking for something different or, you know, and we'd have some provocative pictures of like, we, you know, we take our, we take our image very seriously in terms of our advertising and our press photos and stuff. So it's grabbing. And, um, we found that that worked far better than trying to describe what we play or what we sound like. We don't really do that. We mention, you know, we're a, you know, we're a band that we're aggressive. We have an electric cello in the band. We have, you know, we have a theremin player. It's very colorful, but I don't use any genre descriptors. And because there, there's an instant kind of 
backlash of also people that are protective of the, their own little subculture of whatever it may be. Like, you guys aren't death metal, or you're not gothic rock, or you're not whatever, you know, or you don't sound right. like this, or you don't sound like that. And and I noticed this long before we even really did direct response marketing when I bought a $5 ad through Reverb Nation and they generated an ad for us that said, if you like Marilyn Manson, you'll like New Jacobin Club. And all these people jumped all over saying, uh, this is crap. This sounds nothing like Marilyn Manson. Right. I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I agree. It doesn't. I didn't make that ad, but it was generated for us. And, uh, yeah, that turned people off. So <laughs> Yeah, that, I think that's a really astute observation. And I think that is really what you just described is the ideal scenario. And that's when people really start to flourish the stuff is when they are capable of putting their, themselves in the the shoes of that person that is clicking on that ad. And really when they when they can understand what that person is thinking when they can when they are connected with that person with the dialogue that is already taking place in that person's mind then you can craft an offer for that person and while those kinds of ads that that you're talking about where if you like this artist you might also like that this artist um do uh, do in my experience work fairly well in in various genres um i don't think that they are the best approach um by any means uh because i don't think that that is the, the first thing that uh, a music lover is really looking to, <laughs> looking for. They're not they're they're not sitting there saying, you know, I like Bruce Springsteen. I wish there was somebody else like Bruce Springsteen. That may be true, and that may be enough to get them to click and check you out and ultimately turn them into a fan. But I don't think that that is necessarily what's taking place in their mind. They've got a a tribe that they see themselves as belonging to. And if you can put a message together that speaks to the core passions of that tribe, that, that instantly causes them to connect with the concept that by connecting with you as an artist and with you in your music, they are, they are flying the, the flag of their tribe, so to speak, then I think that you're going to, you're going to see, a positive response and you're going to see better conversion numbers. And it sounds like that that's what you were able to do. So well done there. And, and I don't know what you're ultimately comfortable sharing, but you want, do you want to talk at all about what you were paying per click? Um, uh, and, and, and I'm sorry, and what kind oh, of click through rate you're getting? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And uh, again, I've been working, we've been working with this for three months and I think it might be a side effect of having such a, a such an extreme niche our, our cost per subscriber, basically the amount of money that at the end of the day it costs us to get each person onto our mailing list, I think is on the high side. Um, but the, but the payoff is quite, is, is quite respectable. Like, uh, we're not paying under a dollar per subscriber. Oh, okay. Um, and I, and I think, I, I think it's because of our, because of our, our target audience. I think, a different target audience may be cheaper, but they but they may not convert. Uh, they they may not buy, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, I have actually I have it. I have my sheet here. Um, basically, we'll spend between a dollar and a dollar seventy per subscriber, and our return from every subscriber, in the grand scheme of things, now has been two dollars and ninety five cents. Awesome. Well, that and those numbers that you just talked about there for anyone listening, those that's really 
what it all boils down to there. What is your subscriber value and what are you what are your subscriber acquisition yeah. costs? And as long as you your value is higher than those acquisition costs, you're seeing growth. And the other thing to remember of course is that once you acquire that subscriber, you're, you're going to be seeing income for potentially years, you're, and there's going to be a lot of sort of trickle-down income that you're not going to be able to easily calculate. You know, that person, especially if you're getting into geotargeted advertising where, where you're uh, building lists in areas where you tend to perform, you're going to get some of these people coming out to shows, some of these people are going to be telling their friends, uh, there's going to be growth all over the place, so, so um, you know even with those numbers, I think there's some additional benefit to be had there. Um, but that's fantastic, and, and I'm surprised, actually, at, at the high acquisition cost. Usually, yeah. usually it's Can't. quite difficult. No. <laughs> it, it, yeah, well, it's quite difficult to make numbers like that work with music because the average price point of an album is so low. Uh-huh. Um, when you are, even if you're paying a dollar, uh, which I usually try to keep the numbers under a dollar, uh, but even then you'd still need a 10% conversion rate, or in other words, 10% of your list would need to buy that album in order to even just break even if you're selling it for $10. But unfortunately, um, we have some tricks that we do to bump that subscriber value so that we can ultimately make, make numbers work, which we're going to talk about in a second. So can I ask, again, I, I want to get to those sales, but mm-hmm. just I think there's some valuable uh, stuff here. Uh, what kind of targeting were you doing if you were not uh, crafting a message to speak directly to a, a fan of another artist? What kind of targeting were you doing? So you're saying, hey, are you bored with the, the music that's already out there? Well, but obviously there isn't a group of people that have indicated that they are bored on Facebook. So well, <laughs> how, are you, how are you lining up uh, a, an audience with well, that kind of message? What we did was we actually did take other bands that had elements or similarities with us, but we did not draw attention to the fact that that's what we were doing. So, for example, um, there is, uh, again, I'm just, I'm just using some very obvious, um, points. Like I said, like we have an, uh, we have electric cello in our band. So I, would we target uh, everyone that liked the band Apocalyptica, which is the electric cello band that plays heavy metal, right? Sure. And we're we're a little more rock and rollish, punky than we are heavy metal, but uh, we would target that audience, but we would not mention any. We would not provoke them into thinking that we sound like that band. We wouldn't mention the band. We just say, "Are you uh, a fan of um, electric cello, or are you bored with all the other bands out there? Are you looking for something new? Are you know, uh, would you you know that sort of? I don't. Uh, sorry, I don't have a list of my my ad copy in front of me. Right sure, now, no, no, fair enough. Fair but enough. that's what we do. And same thing with some other bands that ha- that maybe even even as 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 shallow as it sounds, maybe even dress somewhat what what we do." Um, that would, at a glance, maybe people would make a, you know, there all the similarities between the theatrical aspect of the band and these, you know, maybe I would like them. But again, we don't, we never, we, we wouldn't come right out and say, if you like them, you'll like us. Sure. Because that got, like, that got absolutely no reaction. And in, in some cases, if we were running those actual newsfeed ads, we get some nasty comments, but we actually don't run newsfeed ads at all anymore. Okay, you're just doing right column? Yeah. yeah. And what kind of click-through rate are you getting on those ads? 
click, click through. Oh boy, I don't have that part. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you know? Do you know if it's uh, under or over 001 percent? It's over 0.1. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And again, to anyone who's listening, and and while you're probably aware of this, just a, a little tip. Uh, basically, if you need to bring those. Um, the cost per click down, you really need to get the uh, click-through rate up. It's going to be in direct proportion. The higher that click-through rate, then the less you're going to be spending. So it, often, if your subscriber costs are high, as as you just ex- expressed that they were, by coming up with perhaps a, a catchier title or a more thought-provoking title, rather, or, or especially images. Images are probably the most uh, important factor here in terms of click-through rate. Absolutely. Coming up with something that gets a higher click-through rate is going to drop those prices, and, of course, it's going to drop those uh, the, the um the subscriber acquisition costs considerably. So something to keep in mind. Um, let's get to the fun part and let's talk about sales. So you're driving traffic via right column ads on Facebook, um, speaking to the potential boredom uh, with music uh, with a actually, very niche audience. Actually, story, sorry to interrupt you. I, I just remembered our you, you made me remember our, our headline above our ads was always a quotation from um, we were we were always using social proof from a review. And ah. so our, the ones we used the most were, they were usually two or three words, um, provo- uh, provocative and controversial, and um, original and alluring was another one. So we do, we do get, we have a lot of, of uh, social proof to work with, social proof being, you know, uh, album reviews from the past. So uh, we use that quite a bit in our, in our, in our advertising. And I, I, I'm sorry I didn't make that clear. That's, it's... It's those quotations that we use uh, as headlines for those ads. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah. but ultimately, you are speaking to that potential yes. board with with the status quo. Or exactly. Music. Yeah. 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 So so you're running ads from Facebook uh, using the right column uh, ads. You are speaking to again that potential boredom out there with with music, but you are targeting people who tend to like music similar to what you uh, make about. Uh, 20 to 30 percent of those people, and of course that varies, uh, but uh, 20 to 30 percent of the people who click on that ad and land on your your squeeze page are ultimately signing up to get some free music. From there, a series of emails that you've pre-written and that are programmed to go out at, at set intervals is taking over and getting people more familiar with the band and the kind of music you, you make and really building that bond. You know, you don't walk up to a person and say, hey, buy buy this. You know, that's not going to go over well, just as you don't walk into a bar and say, hey, want to come home with me to somebody, you know, uh, that catches your eye. You get to know each other first, and, and I think that's an important part of marketing, and I cannot tell you how many emails I get because people have just stolen my email and added to their mailing list saying, you know, buy my CD, and that that is what their marketing message effectively is. Um, and that really is a terrible idea in this world where we're trying to create a tribe. Uh, we need to build that bond and build that interest and, and build genuine and authentic relationships. Talk about that a little bit because I know you were initially, I remember a few emails where you're a little uncomfortable about this. How how much do I expose myself? I, we've, we've created a, uh, an image that we're protective of and how much do I pull back the curtain, talk about your feelings there, what you ultimately expressed and what the response was and how you think that plays into the, the success. Yeah, actually that I think is what played into the success because uh, again, most independent bands sell most of their albums at 
at the concert, right? So I was thinking, what happens at a concert? And we sell plenty of albums when we play uh, when we play live after the show. What happens at the concert that doesn't happen online? And it's just that people aren't meeting you. They're they're not seeing you know. Uh, they they want to be around you, talk to you, ask you questions. Um, and the thing with our 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 blog posts and there are uh, like as you mentioned there's emails that go to the people out on the once they're on the mailing list these are blog posts these are entries that only people that are on the mailing list can read the general public cannot read them the general public stumbling onto our website or our blog is going to see a certain set of blog posts written by some band members and some people that are just associates associated with the band but the blog posts um, that our mailing list gets, uh, that they have access to. One of them is about how I started this band 17 years ago and how, um, how I was basically, you know, like beaten into the ground, uh, by in, in the mid nineties by all the people that say, you can't do this. That's not cool. What you guys are doing is, you know, this is when, you know, a, a bands like Pearl Jam and Nirvana were just huge, huge, huge. And you had to be, you know, keeping it real and wearing, you know, just the jeans and the t-shirt and everything was, you know, anti-glam and, and anti-flash and flare and everything. And, um, it was about my experiences starting the band. And, um, I get a lot of, uh, a lot of feedback from that story. Uh, the, the story is actually about one person that emailed me, um, after the, after my band broke up and said, when, you know, how could, how do I get your music? When are you playing again? This and that. It was just one guy that emailed me. And I thought someone actually liked my band. And that's, so that's how I introduced, that's how I introduced myself to our, um, to our mailing list. And then, uh, email our, our next blog post that they have access to is a bit of a public scandal that my band was involved with a few years ago that, again, won't talk about publicly just to the average, person stumbling upon us but um it's it's again it's letting people into what's going on behind the scenes with us so sure yeah yeah i think that's one of the hardest parts to teach of this whole process is is in a nutshell what to blog about and it's not that you know teaching people what to blog about is difficult but teaching people you can't really teach someone who they are and that's ultimately what you need to be blogging about or making videos about or communicating in your emails whatever it is it's about connecting and it's about that kind of natural dialogue that you would have as you made a friendship uh, and it's the same thing that we're doing we're just doing it virtually and we're doing it to some extent on a scalable level um, and it's going to be different for every artist and I think people just uh, you know need to dig deep and they need to find that thing about themselves that makes them different that makes them unique and makes them something that someone can fall in love with and I think there's, we're still dealing with a clashing of two worlds, this, this modern technological social media age meeting the old world of elusive, mysterious rock stars who you never hear from and you don't get any real glimpse into. And that used to be what be, yeah, part, at least, of, of what being a rock star was. And in fact, I just had an email exchange with somebody uh, the other day who was concerned about that, you know, that things like crowdsourcing or crowdfunding uh, seem weak and, and 
communicating in the way that uh, I'm suggesting and that a lot of people are doing. He wasn't being particularly critical. He was just expressing his concerns, um, you know, that, that rock stars needed to be these sort of mysterious kings and not, and not these people tweeting about what they had for breakfast. And while, you know, they, I'm not necessarily suggesting we need to be tweeting about what we have for breakfast, I don't agree with that, that old perception, and I used to. I really did. I battled. I was so late on social media because I, thought, I felt the same way, and it was a big blow to my ego to have to admit that I was just a regular person. But once I started doing that, it, 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 I started seeing results and the fan base growing and communication that I never had in the past. And, and I just think it's – and once you feel that, once you feel that connection because you've opened up, I think it's so inspiring and it's so great. And you realize, wait, I can put down my guard and drop all this facade and BS and, and be real with people and I'll actually get rewarded for that. You know, the, it, it boosts your confidence. It makes you less – cautious and it helps you become stronger or at least more confident in your own sense of identity and again brand and it makes you a better artist better person you know certainly a better marketer um and i think it's interesting to note that you know what you were communicating it was the, it was the ugly side of the picture to yeah. some extent you know you weren't you weren't doing hey <laughs> my band just produced with grammy winning producer or my band just recorded something with grammy winning producer so and so it wasn't the usual garbage it was you know hey i used to get a whole lot of crap for doing what i'm doing and uh, it's it's because of people like this guy who sent in an email and you the, the reader that uh i'm still making music you've changed my life you know I, again i'm sort of yeah. very much paraphrasing but it's that opening up to people and showing showing your vulnerable side your real side uh, that i think ultimately really helped connect and again it, it's counterintuitive for some so well done there and so again so now they've gone through your autoresponder series, the, these emails that are programmed to go out. You've got them familiar with who you are. You've built that that uh, bond. And then you go in for the sale, and you really ask for it. That's something you hear a lot about in marketing circles. You need to ask for the sale because if we just sort of casually say, hey, my stuff's on iTunes, check it out, people, one, are probably not going to check it out. Two, if they do, they'll check it out and they'll decide that they'll come back later because no one's in a rush to part with money. Uh, and, if, and if they have that opportunity to just come back and check it out, um, they will. Uh, well, at least they'll put it off, and usually that will result in the loss of a sale. But if we really go out and find a creative and friendly way of saying, hey, would you buy this right now? I'll make it worth your while in this way, shape, or form, um, then we're going to see much higher sales rates. And, again, we're going we're gonna to start edging towards that predictable conversion rate that, that we need in order to make a system like this work. Um, so, so, so talk about that. What, what kind oh. of conversion rates were you seeing in terms of sales? Well, that that's where everything uh, changes for us. We see really high. We've seen basically around 20% of everyone that initially signs up to our list buys our album. And, and then of that 20%, a few of those people go on to actually either through our suggestion or just all on their own, they go out and buy m- most of our, our back catalog. <laughs> I've seen people that... that you know, buy the album that we're offering at a sale price, and then and then go to our other web store and just buy everything. And that's wow. um, yeah, and that 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 has been very surprising because I always thought, well, where were these people before? You know, well, quite simply, they didn't know we existed. 
right? Right, right. <laughs> and, and we had introduced ourselves to them, and they didn't feel like they had seen us or known us or, or, or familiar. You know what I mean? We're just, we're just a little icon or a little ad at the corner of a screen they saw. You know, that's not, you know, that's, or even a, a really expensive print ad. You know, we pay $1,500 for a, a little um, a print ad uh, in, a, in a big magazine. And what do you get from it? Enough. Like, can you can you actually trace how many sales that are generated from that that advertisement that you paid for? You can't. Yeah, and in some usually you because there aren't any. <laughs> right? Exactly. There there aren't any. I believe that. I I, I strongly believe that. So yeah. So at the end of the day, we were seeing uh, twenty like between eighteen and twenty one percent of everyone that um, of the people that. Whoops. Of, of people that um, were on our list were, were purchasing. Yeah, and that's and that's that's tremendous for the record. You know, there might be some who are just stumbling upon this who aren't familiar with what's normal. Uh, most markets, you know, and I'm talking non-music markets, the big giant companies out there are, are hoping to see a one or two percent conversion rate. I'm seeing people that at least get this dialed in. They're seeing on average probably four to six percent, which is considered very good. Four percent, four to six percent of your list are ultimately buying. Um, I've seen. I think I want to say prior to you, maybe 10% or somewhere in that neighborhood being about as high as I've seen. And here you're seeing, you know, an 18 to to 21% conversion rate in 20% of your list buying your stuff is is tremendous. And they're not just buying your album. As you say, they're buying additional products, your back catalog. Let's talk about that. So, so you drive people eventually in that series, they're getting sent a direct email, really just saying, Hey, would you buy my stuff? And not so many words. Uh, and then uh, one in five are, which again, is just huge. Um, and then when, once that order is completed, what's happening? Well, the, the, you said the word, you mentioned iTunes and the words, the wording is important. Um, we, uh, our, we are actually um, trying to get our fans on our side in terms of co- uh, like fighting with the industry. Um, we we tell them don't buy our album from iTunes, don't buy our album from Amazon. We have albums that you can buy in regular you know channels. Buy it from us, and it'll be cheaper, and we'll give you this, these extra songs. Like basically, that's what it is, right? We're actually trying to. <laughs> you know, like we're 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 trying to get everyone on this on a side of you know yeah you know like let's let's buy straight from the band let's not buy from iTunes even though we do make some of that money from the iTunes sales and, and Amazon but um, and that's actually I think in a way that's that's what wins people over you know and then what happens is they so they buy our album and they get a free EP with it and it's cheaper than on iTunes they get. Um, as kind of a thank you for, you know, buying our album, you know, uh, thank you for shelling out money and spending it on a band that, you know, you didn't know about a month ago, that independent band. Hey, we've been around for 15 years. We have four albums and about four EPs and a DVD, and um, we put this big package together, and uh, you can have it for this, like, I know, John, what you told me was too cheap, <laughs> and uh, they have that option. They have that option of instantly becoming a completist. They they instantly will have everything we've ever done, and um, and I think a lot of a lot of people in in extreme niche markets are completists. And when you 
when you have a fan that's completist, you have a fan that's going to buy everything else you ever put out. So we really want our fans to have a complete collection, and um, that's something that we feel strongly about. And some of our material is hard to find, and some of it was not released outside of Canada for licensing reasons. And we even come clean and tell them that. You can't get this anywhere else. We don't know why. It's some some music industry baloney about this and that and the other thing. And, you know, so um, here, here, all of it right here. Now, you can have it if you want. <laughs> right, right. And just to clarify, that's right there on the thank you page, essentially. They order, they get taken to a page, uh, they get redirected to a page after ordering, and they see this offer that you put together with pictures of all the albums. It's this big, giant mountain of stuff yep. that they can get for this low price that you sell for how much? Um, it's two CDs, a DVD, and seven digital releases for $29. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think that's too cheap. But and what and what percentage of your uh, audience is is ultimately picking that up? Like well, of the buyers. I know you've gone uh, through uh, a, few, a few hiccups there in terms of dialing in that offer. But yeah. you you know you've made X amount of sales. What percentage of them so far have purchased the the second tier? I the funny thing about that is I don't have that number because we have some people that bought it that bought that box set outside of outside of the email chain. Um, sure. Because actually, we, sure. we normally sell that box set for more than that. But mm-hmm. the, our logic is if they just spent $10 on a digital album that is already included in that box set with another bonus release that's included in that box set, that's why we're giving them the break, that one-time break. If you right. want to get... The rest of everything right now, we're going to give it to you for this too cheap price because we understand you just spent money to a um, If they sure. purchased that box set without buying the digital, uh, without buying uh, one of the releases first is, is noticeably more money than that. Um, it's just that we really want people to not feel like they just got, like sold the same thing twice, right? Because right. It, in fact, they are getting too to, they they are getting uh, an album and an EP that they just bought in that box set, and I don't we don't want them to feel like we're trying to sell it to them twice and make it a faster buck. Sure, so that, you know we're that, very that very conscientious of that. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, uh, you know, in terms of industry averages, what I'll usually see uh, on an upsell, and it, it can vary, it can go lower, it can go even higher, but uh, I'd like to see usually between 10 and 30% on an upsell. Um, right now I'm, I'm seeing about 30% on, on some of my stuff. Uh, sometimes it's lower. It really kind of depends how you dial that in and how appealing you ultimately make it and i think it's important to understand the psychology that led to the the purchase in the first place you know in in other words why did they buy what value are they perceiving and then going and giving them even more value for an even better deal on that page if you do that right you'll see you'll see the conversion rates here ultimately after and as we were discussing before we were recording another thing you can do is then follow up with those people that maybe didn't buy because they weren't yet acquainted enough with your music but maybe after they spent a week with your music they they really did fall in love and and at that point they might be interested so you can follow up with those people and really try and make that sale at, a, at another point as well as it, as it sounds like you're, you're doing um, but what is fairly normal if your pricing is right is to make as much money from that second tier sale as you are on on the initial sale I'll usually 
end up seeing an equation that looks something like that, where if you're making $100 off of 100 subscribers on the initial sale, you're making another $100 or so off of that second tier sale. So a lot of people are really missing out if they're not doing this. And often, in fact, it's hard to make the numbers work if you're just selling a $10 album. But uh, uh, very often the profit will come from that second tier sale. And then, of course, you've got other ways of monetizing the list through live shows, potentially house concerts, uh, merch, future albums, and all of these kinds of things. The nice thing about this process is that, of course, it's snowballing. You know, you, once you own that list, once you've got 10,000 people on that list or whatever that number is for you, then you've got a real asset that is going to fuel your career for many, many years to come. That's the biggest professional pain in, in my life is all my time on major labels, all that money, literally millions of dollars spent on my behalf in terms of getting my stuff out there and making albums and whatnot. Uh, and I had no mailing list to speak of because, you know, this is really before this kind of thing was very common. It's not even really common now, but, uh, you know, if you wanted to get on my mailing list, you had to, like, shoot me an email. You had to find some small link somewhere on the site, click on it, click on another link, and then shoot me an email. And uh, I just really had no mailing list to speak of, and I kick myself now thinking if only I had, you know, uh, put put that offer out there when all those eyeballs were really um, on my career because of, you know, MTV and what the major labels were doing at the time. But uh, such is life, and, and you know, we, we, uh, we figure things out when we do, and we, we correct, and certainly things are better than ever in that respect now. Um, so one of the things, you know, I think you touched on earlier in this conversation, and I think is worth pointing out again, you hear this a lot in marketing circles and entrepreneurial discussions. You don't want to get yourself in a situation in life where you're trading time for money. It's hard to achieve the financial goals that we're ultimately after and it's hard to achieve any kind of sustainable success if that's what we're doing and you described how most musicians are selling albums via shows and that's absolutely true that that was my experience that's pretty much everyone's experience before they engage in any kind of real marketing and one of the reasons i think that's so successful is because of you know that albeit somewhat of a short-lived one but that that bond that you're creating there in the room there whether they're they're seeing you up on stage maybe they're a little tipsy and they're fe they're really feeling it they're inspired and excited by what you're seeing but more importantly it's usually the conversations that you're having with people uh after the show at least when you're an indie artist I know that I used to hate standing at the merch table. I was shy, and I just hated doing that. But when I just would go and cut a deal with the headliner and say, hey, sell my stuff, I'll give you 10%, I'd sell one or two CDs. When I'd go and stand there at the merch table, uh, I'd sell 20 or 30 CDs, and the difference was huge, and it was because of those little conversations. People want to connect. We just need to give them a reason to do so. Um, and, and, and what we're doing with this process and, and what Xerxes just described is effectively taking that ideal moment where you're standing at a merch table and you're having a conversation with a fan and you're turning that mild interest into a purchase, we're taking that and we're, we're scaling it up so beyond what we could ever accomplish by performing and, and thus avoiding that trap that many successful musicians fall into where they are married to the road for the rest of their lives if they want to keep paying the bills. Um, and so once again, you know, in that scenario, if you're a touring artist and that's how you make your money, you're trading time for money. But when you stop putting in the time, there's no growth in your career. And uh, with this model, I think that that changes. And that's why I personally gravitated towards it and really started 
doing this in the first place and now teach it to others. I mean, is is that, you know, what's your perspective on that, that statement? Uh, actually, yeah, that's um, the going back to exactly that bands sell most of their albums at concerts. And why is that? It's because they're there. But um, in, in speaking about, well, you know, people buying your own and giving the option to buy something more expensive. You know what? That happens at concerts too. How many times have you or anyone that's listening to this in a band, have you stood after the show and someone pulled out uh, $20 and said, I want that shirt and you, you know, give me the 20, I'll give you the CD as well. We do that in person all the time. It's not unique to, to this, to this direct response marketing. In fact, this, the idea of, of giving someone a bigger item to buy or, or offering them this upsell or whatever, that comes from what happens in person all the time at, 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 the, at, the, at the merch table after shows. I don't know how many times I've done it. Someone says, I want this CD and that CD. And, they ha- and, we, have, and we had three albums out, and I said, well, look, just give me the 35 bucks, and you can have all three of them, and I'll give you this poster or whatever. We do that on the spot. We just, you know, we do that. And also we do it because we see that people are excited and um, they, sorry for the first time, and they want all your stuff and they're happy to be talking to you. And you have to transfer that, um, that, that sort of communication and that sort of exchange. You, you need to put that online. You need to put that on, make that happen um, online as well as just at the concert. And that's, that's why and when you will sell things um, out of your web store and not just at concerts, right? So that's that's why we do what we do in terms of um, how cheap our stuff is and what you know we like to put together all this stuff, all these CDs and things, and you know give it to you for one price or whatever. Because we we do it at shows, we do it at concerts, we'll do it uh, do it to our fans online as well. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I really recommend anyone listening to this check out the new Jackman Club. Um, where, where can people actually, well, you know, uh, get some free music while while we're talking about, about such things? Yeah. Well, we have a special page that where where you can enter your email address, and we will send you uh, like not one or two, but I think it's three free downloads. It's newjacobinclubmusic.com. Um, and uh, just enter your uh, name and email address. You'll get some downloads right away, and you will also uh, get um, access to our, uh, our our blog posts that are only for our mailing list fans, uh, the ones that you won't see on our website otherwise. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, once again, that's new Jacobin, J-A-C-O-B-I-N, clubmusic.com definitely check them out they're doing some really fun stuff I, I personally have a, a, a keen interest in the theatrical and I love what you guys are doing it's it's cool stuff and and, it, and if you're just interested in seeing a, a successful funnel um, you know really experiencing what uh, somebody is yeah, experiencing the funnel of somebody uh, who's doing it right then I, I suggest you check it out and uh, you know do them a solid and pick up some of their music while you're there um so any parting words before we kind of move on? Uh, I mean, I think I really appreciate you sharing your story and telling folks what's worked for you and what you've been doing. I think, I think this will help color it in for a lot of people who kind of understand the concepts but are perhaps a little unclear on each of the steps and, you know, some of the different uh, factors that can 
really skew results in either direction. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Uh, anything else you want to add or any parting words of, of advice to people? Yeah, I one of the reasons I was I really was um, happy to to do this podcast with you was because I wanted to tell I wanted to be here to actually say to all the extreme kind of niche market bands out there, especially the the the, the heavy metal bands and the all, all those all all you bands that think that you are too different or too extreme to to participate in this sort of marketing strategy you're wrong. It, you can do it. Um, you obviously can't do it exactly the same way as everyone else. And uh, it, the, financially, it doesn't work quite the same way, but it, it does work. You just, you just have to, um, <laughs> you have to do the work because it's, it doesn't happen uh, with no work at all. And uh, that's the biggest problem with a lot of those bands is that um, they think that just by sitting back and, and being cool and being, you know, um, we're just going to wait for people to come and buy our stuff. If they don't, then whatever. They don't like it. That's too bad. Well, well, you got to go out and find the people that are gonna that that want your music because they are out there. You just you have to put in the work. Great points, and and you know it's funny. I, I hear that a lot. Well, I make this kind of music. I don't know if this is going to work. It's not mainstream stuff. Yeah. And funny enough, yeah. the people that I talk to that tend to be the most successful with it are the least mainstream. Because when you are in a niche, or even if it just it doesn't have to be a niche. It can just be a very well defined genre like jazz or classical. But when you're making music like that, you know who your audience is. When you're a singer songwriter or, or a sort of mainstream top forty artist, that that's a huge pool of people and you got to work a lot harder to really drill down. You could still do it, of course, and you benefit from the fact that you've got a larger audience to work with, but, uh, pinpointing your message takes a lot more work. And so I think, yeah, the more you can drill down, the more unique, the more specific you're doing, the better your chances. So, so a great point. Um, once again, uh, check them out. New Jacobin Club Music dot, uh, dot com. Again, that's J A C O B I N um, Club Music dot com. Uh, check them out. Uh, Xerxes Horde. Thanks. Thanks again for being on this call and thanks for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Take care. All right, once again, John Ojaka here, and a big thank you uh, to Xerxes Horde for uh, coming on the show and sharing all of that um, hard-won information, really valuable stuff, some really good insight there. And uh, once again, it just, you know, it really proves that fact that people are, in fact, buying music, which, try as I might, is hard to convince the average uh, struggling independent artist um, of. You know, people, they want to really hold on to this misery uh because i think i think the average musician is is taking a lot of a lot of kicks you know and they've had a hard time selling product and they're just it's easier for many to believe that it can't be done than to believe that there is hard work out there uh to be done so uh again uh xerxes another success story and more proof that uh, people are buying music you just need to know how to reach those fans so once more thanks again to xerxes horde for sharing all of that with us and thanks to you guys for listening i really appreciate it uh if you'd like to learn more about the strategies that we discussed as always head on over to musicmarketingmanifesto.com you can either sign up for a free copy of the music marketing blueprint uh, or you can uh, 
uh, check out Music Marketing Manifesto 3.0, the course uh, that we discussed in this podcast episode. All right. Once more, thanks for listening. And uh, I don't know. Rock on. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast with John Ojaka. If you'd like to learn more music marketing strategies, then go to musicmarketingmanifesto.com. That's musicmarketingmanifesto.com. And sign up for your free copy of the Music Marketing Blueprint.